1: Hey, everyone, this is Charles. I just wanted to let you know before we start the episode that this show contains discussion about suicide. So if you're in crisis or if someone you know is in crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Prestige TV Podcast, a show where we're survivalists, not doomsday preppers i'm charles holmes he's van lathan together we're known as the midnight boys and we're back to discuss the last of us and van i gotta be real with you man i'm gonna let you in on a little bit of a secret sure coke baby chuck the 24 karat closer is a fucking wreck all right Tough. i'm with you brother i was not ready for this hour of fucking television. You watched this before me and you did not warn me. Like you did not warn me that this That's was not like That's true. You said it was good. You didn't say it was like make you kind of like reevaluate
0: <laughs> your existence and purpose. <laughs> I got to tell people something real quick. There are a couple of episodes of television out there that inside the walls of narrative managed to do something so phenomenally beautiful with the articulation of the human experience, what it means to live, why we live, how we live, and what we're living for. And I can think of them. I think of San Junipero, the Black Mirror episode. I think of episodes, my favorite shows, like Six Feet Under. Osmond Davis, Pine Barrens, The Suitcase, all Teddy Perkins, all yeah. You know what I mean? And I think about this episode, Bill and Frank, and what hope and purpose really mean. God damn it, bruh. Are you spoiling it? My last question, but fuck it.
1: We're, we're getting into it. This is going to be my I, I last question. I apologize,
0: guys. I'm off to my ties. Van, I have to
1: ask you. Does long, long time immediately go into the TV episode, Pantheon? To me,
0: yes. I agree. I fucking I'm sorry. agree. To me, it's yes. It's in the Hall of Fame. To, to me, yes. I never played the game. I never played it. <laughs> so I'm listening to Kai, and Kai's talking about, like, what Bill meant and how it was different. There's so many things I didn't understand, didn't know what was going on. I did see the chemistry between these two characters. Kai, can you vouch for this? Can you vouch for the fact that I had stopped it, but like before things got off, and I was like, "Yeah, bro." Like they, they're like, it seems like there's something between them.
2: Yeah, last week you were just like, "There's, there's something there." I don't know if it's you didn't know if it was like something, some t- aggressive tension, or if Frank was like working with Fedra, or if he was like a firefly. But I'm like, there's.
0: There's something that's happening. And what happened was one of the most beautiful and affecting doomed love stories that we've seen, Charles. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: I can't agree more. With that, let's get into the the episode. So this episode title is called Long, Long Time, directed by Peter Hoare, written by Craig Mazin. This week's episode features two guest stars, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec playing Bill and Murray Bartlett from White Lotus playing Frank. We start 10 miles west of Boston where Joel and Ellie stop at a convenience store so Joel can pick up supplies. He stashed there on previous runs. Ellie wanders until she finds a basement where she finds a box of tampons before a living infected that she decides to kill. The duo is still struggling with Tessa's death while Joel reluctantly tries to guide a naive Ellie through this world. Then we flash back to September 30th, 2003, where we see Bill, a survivalist, not doomsday prepper, who hides in his underground bunker while FEDRA agents evacuate his town. Bill builds a fortress to protect himself, but one day Frank falls into a trap. He's set after Feeding Frank, the two start up a relationship. We flash forward through their years, long romance, where they experience ups and downs. They become friends with Joel and Tess, grow old together. But when Frank starts dying of a mysterious illness, he asks Bill to give him one perfect day where they'll get married before Bill assists Frank with suicide. Bill decides to die alongside Frank, telling his partner that he was his purpose, when Joel and Ellie show up, they find a letter left to Joel where Bill describes what happens and leaves everything to him. And then Joel and Ellie stock up before departing to find Joel's brother. We've already gotten into it, Van, but like travel back in time. Give me your first reaction to this episode. I just kind of want to know emotionally
0: where to leave you. Well, this is what they're—they're—I'm they're, trying to get better at doing and at stopping. What I'm saying midway, while I go, this is what, and then I go to a different thing. My brain works weird. So I'll finish that. This is what struck me by the episode. The episode, if you listen to The Last of Us podcast over on the HBO YouTube, they talk about what they feel like the show is about. And they feel like the show is about love. And in the situation that Joel, Ellie, the Fireflies and the rest of the people are in, love seems like a daunting task. Do you know what sort of a craters love sometimes, especially for us now? Love seems sometimes, Charles, like, I don't know, like a, a, a comfort of function. And what I mean is it seems like love is sometimes a privilege. It seems like when people get desperate, when people are in a survival matrix, when people have, you know, Challenges to overcome. The first thing that goes is the love. So when people are placed in those situations, what you realize is that the love is the most important thing. Hmm. The most important thing is not trying to survive. The most important thing is why. Are you trying to live just so that you can live for the fear of dying? Or are you trying to live because love happiness, experience, connection, creativity, and all of those things are things that are promised to you in the future that you can't see if you do live? Are you living for the possibility of one day being happier or are you just living just to live? And that question is asked throughout this episode. You see, Bill, was a doomsday prepper. He's waiting for the moment that things go left and then they do go left. And while everybody else in the world is eating the scraps left over in society, he's eating filet mignon. The question is, even though he's got clean water, good food, protection, does he have anything that makes that life worth worth living? And he didn't even know that the answer was no. And watching that question get answered for him by his beautiful relationship with Frank, who brings all kinds of things into their life. Risk. A little danger. Life. What life is. Yeah. yeah, Friendship. You know? Like, beauty. And then watching them have to come to terms with losing it, it got to me, man. It did it to me. It's, It's, you know, come on. Last of Us, if you don't stop cooking like this, I'll take this fucking rock in my hand and I'll throw it through my own window. That's how good this episode of television is. I'll destroy my own property, Charles. That's what I'll do. I'll take this rock. You guys think I'm lying. I have a rock. Vouch for the fact that I'm holding a rock. He is holding a rock. Is that quartz? What is That's that? a quartz rock for my mother, who I, love, who I love, who taught me love. I'll take this rock and I'll throw it through my own window. That's how good this episode was. I mean I
1: think the the beautiful thing about this episode is that it portrays how difficult it is to learn how to love someone. Um I think Frank says it when he's asking Bill to, you know, help him to assist him with this suicide, to take him out of his pain. He says, "Quote, then love me the way I want you to." And that like it just that line just hurt me so much in because it was so eloquent the way it was said, because I think if you ever have the ability or you know, you're know, you lucky enough to be in love, the thing that you understand the more years that you're with someone is how truly difficult it is to love somebody on their terms. How difficult it is to like understand or be willing to hear what somebody needs from you and it's so it was just so interesting watching within an hour them show this relationship that is not just all ups. it's not all beautiful, it's like tough, and you're kind of watching this immovable object in Bill learn to love something besides himself and learn to open himself up to a world that he had shut himself off and I was not expecting that, and the thing mm. I want to ask you is. How much of a risk do we feel like this is? Because this is the third episode of this series. It stops dead in its tracks. Mm -hmm. We go away from Joel and Ellie for 45 minutes. And the show is asking us to not only trust the creators, like, this is an important story to tell, but it's a risk because if it fails, you're just like, why did we spend so much time with these two men? What was the purpose of it? But the reward of it is is almost this opening up of the world of showing you what people are still fighting for and I want to know from you of, of like did you have you ever thought of like damn like if this episode didn't work the show is now operating on it on the back
0: foot yeah it is a risk um it's a risk for for myriad reasons one it's a risk because it's the same sex love story it's a risk because it's a love story between two people that aren't classically beautiful, you know? There's no Brad Pitt's in here. (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. I mean, And I'm being honest with you. I I compared this to San Junipero when I was taking my notes, which is a goddamn fantastic love story, Black Mirror show that we desperately need back. Just bring it back. We know that things are fucked up, but we just need Black Mirror back, even if we're watching it as the ship is going down. (laughs) And just like that episode, this episode asked the questions like, you know, what, what is connection? And does connection have um, any limitation? Is it limited by metaphysics in the case of Black Mirror, where people are loving each other throughout these weird understandings of life and death and what consciousness is or what it's not, right? In this situation, it's like, can you connect through desperation, survival, trust, all those things? For the people that come to this and think that it's a departure from what the central story is, uh, to your question, being if it's a risk, I would say that this fortifies what the central story is here because it establishes stakes in this zombie post-apocalyptic fair the stakes seem obvious. Will humanity be able to survive? That's not really what the stakes are. The stakes are what do we do now? That's really what it's about. And that's this is a story that's right in line with this. What do you do now? The the two women in San Jinapiro, Google and Batha Ra, and the other lady who's been in many things, she was in the Martian. I can't remember her name right now, Kai, <laughs> in her name. They're beautiful women and it's easy to watch them go through this sort of uh, love affair together. These are two men who are longing for each other, who are intertwined with one another. And that's going to be challenging for a lot of people as challenging still in 2022 as getting away from what Joel and Ellie are going through. But it's worth it and it's necessary for people to see what the stakes of this world are. And it's also necessary for what happens at the end of this last thing I'll say, when Bill makes the very deliberate decision to say, if my purpose leaves this earth, so will I. That, my friends, is one of the most beautiful deaths in television history. Not a dramatic one, not a TV stoppers, not Walter White laying down and blah 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 blah. It's not all of that, but it's one of the most beautiful and one of the most powerful endings to a character's arc, and it was only one episode. I love it. I'm gonna throw this rock through the window. <laughs>
1: Please don't. But the thing that I think is genius actually about what this story does is, is that we start with Ellie, and Ellie. I'm sorry, she got the sociopath vibes early in this a episode. Bit. A little bit. (laughs) Because she pulls out the knife. She kills the infected. I'm like, ooh, okay. And then when she's talking to Joel, she doesn't take responsibility for Tess's death. She's grieving, but she does not. In that moment, what's so genius about it is that you realize that Ellie does not understand the concept of death yet. She's still young. And you have somebody on the other side in Joel who because he shut himself off after his daughter's death, he's not even allowing himself to feel anything with Tess, or at least he's not allowing to share in it. What I think is so brilliant about this journey is that because the episode starts with Ellie, so young, not understanding what death really means, and then you immediately go to Bill, he's also someone who, in the beginning of the episode, Seems thrilled. We learn yeah. later in his note that this is his dream. He ha- this, He's happy. He hated humanity to such a degree that he was like, this is what I, not only what I've been preparing for, but this is a version of the world that I want. And that is what I love seeing in this because Bill and Frank almost mirror um, Joel and Ellie in a way. Even mm, though Joel absolutely. and Ellie's lo- like connection is a different type of love. It's a father and daughter. It is through the story of Bill and Frank, the show was telling us this is where we need these characters to go. This is, this is actually what this world needs more of. Connection, trust, learning how to love someone, finding your purpose in life through connection. I thought that that was brilliant of how they even start the episode. Because did you, do you remember when Joel is warning Ellie? He's just like, don't go over there. And like a child, she's like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Just don't go over there. Trust me." And she sees all of these, this like all of these dead people who are killed by Fedra.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're realizing how much this child has been sheltered, even though she's yeah. grown up in this doomsday world. You're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, she does not have the normal things that kids in a non
0: but even if she even if we weren't at that age, that's yeah. still an age where kids think they know everything, but they don't know shit." Now that you've said that,
1: I don't know if you've ever spe- experienced this, but like when when there's a death, especially like a death in the family, like I'm now at the age where I have nieces and nephews who are younger. And it's interesting seeing how they deal with death because it's something so foreign to them. Like, they don't understand it. Like, and it it takes days and it takes weeks. And you see kind of, like, their little minds. Even as teenagers, you see it dawning on someone, what it means when somebody leaves. What does grief mean? What does it mean to grow with it? What does it mean to change? And I I kind of actually thought it was brilliant how, even though Ellie's not in this a lot, by the end of the episode, seeing her soften, almost, Mm -hmm. and realizing what Joel is going through, I kind of thought was brilliant from that actress. I was just like, okay, like I am, this episode weirdly made me buy into Joel and Ellie so much fucking
0: more. So I call this the forever phase, what you're talking about. And it's, there's a sweet spot. See, when you get a little bit older, you, you start to realize what life actually has in store for you, right? You get like 18, 19, 20. You still might do stupid things, but the, by that time, you've experienced, for at least people around my way, enough loss to know that you're eventually going to lose, that loss is a part of life. Before, when you're a kid, somebody passes away, it's very easy to explain. Hey, your grandmother's in heaven now. She's going to look out for you forever. Oh, well, that's great. I don't see her anymore, but she's in heaven. I even met kids before to go, hey... I don't know if you know, my granny's in heaven now, and they're like saying that as a, as a, uh, as a badge of honor. Then you get to that middle phase, to where they're old enough to understand death, but they don't think they're gonna die. Yeah, they think that that's something that happens to somebody else. Remember, we're talking about people whose bones never creak. I was on a <laughs> basketball court today, and I'm like, I'm gonna do 12 left hand layups, jumping off my right foot before I leave after my workout, and my body said. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not doing that. (laughs) My body laughs. My body's like, what you're going to do? You're going to get in your goddamn car. And you're going to drive home. And you're going to ice your knees. Because we've had enough today. Okay? (laughs) But that's not happening to you. So you're still trying to put death and the eventual breakdown of the things that you love and loss. You're still trying to put them on trial. You still think that you know when you don't. And part of growing up is understanding what loss, connection, and letting go really is. And so to see Ellie in that position where she thinks she knows, where her, and she even has it more so, you know why? Because she's immune to this deadly disease. Think about what it must be like for Ellie. Think about the fact that other kids, you can't tell them to put a jacket on because it's cold. But what if they couldn't get a cold? They're like, fuck you. Do you think she has a messiah complex a little bit in
1: terms of even the way she's talking about Tess in the beginning? Like, I, I was like, a little like, ugh. Because the way she's talking about Tess and her situation is almost like, but I'm worth it, though. Like, that's the subtext of like, I potentially might save humanity. So, of course, these things are going to happen. It's not my fault. And that's a weird place for Joel to be in because he's uh-huh. like, we don't even know if you're like, if you could do shit. But it's like, e- this episode is weirdly about, it's not up front, but about Ellie kind of peeling back those layers of like, even if I might save humanity, I still have to be in this world and I still have to know how to connect with people uh, and, and honor
0: people and their life and their sacrifices and what they're doing for me. You know, I think they've actually done a good job of playing that part of her down. I never played the game, so I don't know how it is in the game. But I think she is a self-aware enough little plucky character um to where these moments really paralyze her. Like when I the point that I was making to that was that was driving to was when she sees the mass grave, the communal grave. Yeah these are little breadcrumbs for her to understand the shit that she's in. These are the little breadcrumbs to, to let her understand that like, and I'm wondering, because I haven't played the game, what kind of effect, I'm wondering if she's going to have more of a Messiah complex later than she does now, because the more of that type of stuff that she sees, and I really want to get back to Bill and Frank, because I love oh, we're getting back I, I love Plucky Ellie, but the more of that stuff she sees, it's almost like the more important she might believe that she is because her purpose in a way is saving the world. Well, I don't even know how that happens yet. I don't know what they have to do. I don't know how like what it means to reverse engineer a virus or anything like that. Like at some point she has to unlearn what kids in that age go through the recklessness that they show with their bodies, the uh, the I'm never going to die attitude. At some point, the Messiah complex is going to be necessary for Ellie to really embrace if she is going to ever give the proper importance to her existence.
1: Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Bill and Frank, I want to talk about both actors, both characters. First, Nick Offerman's performance. I think this was brilliant casting. Have you ever watched Parks and Rec, man? No. So Nick Offerman, why I think it's kind of genius that they cast him as Bill is that in that show, he is like a libertarian curmudgeon with a heart of gold who, like, builds canoes on the weekend and wants people to leave him alone. He is this character almost, just in a comedy. So you have who we know Nick Offerman to be, but then you reverse it. This rugged man, and you're just like, okay, but he's hiding something. And what he's hiding is that he's been closeted for years. And what I think was so beautiful about that moment is that he melts. He melts at that piano when he stops Frank from playing the song, uh, from playing long, long time. And in his face, you almost see this history of what it was to be a closeted gay man, what it was to have to hide, what it what it's been like to never have been loved before. And you see him like letting someone in. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this is why you cast him. Because he's like a lovable person that we love in this world but you rarely get to see him as an emotional baby, as someone who kind of gets to crumble into somebody's arms and allow himself to be taken care of. And I just thought it was one of the most beautiful acting performances I've seen in in years, possibly ever.
0: I, I thought so as well. And I also thought that he's probably looking at it like a complete role reversal of society. It used to be that society was this place that, told him when he could love, where he could love, where he could hold hands, what he could do. And now, guess what? There's nobody around to judge him for any of the ways that he expresses his love for his partner, for any of the things that he does, for any of the ways that he is outwardly, you know, sort of expressing his connection to another person. So he's probably in a utopia. The world that was there before for him was probably way more constricting than the world he lives in now. Now, this character is free. He feels free. He is useful to a world that threw him away before. He is important in a place that told him he had to hide before. And watching him do this and watching him still, like watching the wall fall, and then connect with somebody else who's beautiful. I'll tell you, I got two Nick Offerman things to tell you. Number one, I watch them in devs. I still haven't seen devs. <laughs> Charles, let me tell you something. Let me tell everybody out there something right now that's listening to this. Start devs. But when you start devs, make sure that your life is going properly. Okay, so this isn't something I can watch now. No. Hell no. <laughs> no way, bro. Like, Kalika and I started watching devs at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was a mistake. Walk around, nobody on the street. We come back and we're watching Devs. Devs is very, very tough to watch for for a lot of reasons. Okay, ask a lot of questions. You know, all of Garland stuff is like that. Ask a lot of questions. Another story I have about Nick Offerman is the way I realized who he was. I was a tour guide on the TMZ tour, and we had seen Slaughterhouse which is Joe Budden, my man Royce, dear friend of mine Royce, the five nine, and uh, Crooked I, and Joel Ortiz. Four of the finest lyricists ever to join a group together, Slaughterhouse. We saw them at the, the Saddle Ranch on Sunset, okay? And I stopped, this is in no way, first of all, this is in no way a slight to one of my favorite rap groups ever. And Royce is one of my friends. We saw them at the saddle range. I go nuts. I don't know if they're going to believe this. I stop. I get off the bus. Oh, shit. It's Slaughterhouse. It's Joe, Crooked, Joel, It's all of that stuff. I get back on the bus, and people, they didn't. This bus was all white. I mean, there are plenty of TMZ tours that I would have done that would have known everybody, but this one wasn't one of them. They didn't know who Slaughterhouse was. Wait, what year was this? I can't remember, bro. This may have been 2012, maybe. I would guess that this had to have been 2012.
1: Because I was going to say some white, like I would say the coastal elites would know Slaughterhouse, some of them at least. This
0: might have been 2011, but it could have been 2012. It had to be either 2011 or 2012. But whenever this Slaughterhouse trip was, I bet they'll remember it. Um, They were all together at the Saddle Ranch. And I, I was like, yo, Slaughterhouse. And I'm on the bus, right? And I'm on the bus, and I'm telling the people, "Yo, these guys are signed to Eminem." So the shady deal had already happened. I'm like, "So maybe it was later. I don't know." These guys signed to Eminem. These are this is a big rap group. This is that's that's Joe Budden. Pump it up. I play Pump it up, and they go, "Oh yeah, I know that song." All oh, like, right, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa! You played Pump it up. That's that's a little disrespectful. How is it disrespectful? I was trying to make them know. <laughs> I played Pump it up. I played. <laughs> I played the Bo- Will Forte. Bo- Bo- I played the. I played the Willow Ford song, Willa Willa, Willa, What You Want, What You Want, and told them that this is Roster 5.9. It like, became a thing to where things got contentious between me and the bus because they were acting like I was lying <laughs> <laughs> that Slaughterhouse was a real rap group. And I started to feel play. Like, you don't know, you don't know Slaughterhouse? Well, fuck y'all, y'all don't know Slaughterhouse. Later on in the tour, we're coming up Melrose. They were like, hey. There goes Nick Offerman. And I was like, who? Because I never watched Parts and Rec. They go, there goes Nick Offerman from Parts and Rec. Let's stop. And I, I said, never heard of him. And the whole bus laughed because I was so pissed at them at this point. I was like, never heard of him. Don't know who that is. They were like, yeah, he's from Parts and Rec." And no. And and the driver of the bus is like, no, Van, seriously. That guy's on, like, I was like, don't know who he is. <laughs> Never heard of him. Not stopping. Keep the tour going. Really Story. quick before we go off this digression, I want to
1: ask you, as, as a former TMZ tour guide, were you ever surprised about the celebrities that white people didn't know, but black people would know, like, within a second?
0: Oh, my God. We can't even get into it on this <laughs> because it's going to be too <laughs> long of a tangent. Knew it. Fucking knew it. Like, it, it, we can't even, bruh. BT Awards weekend was such, because BT Awards weekend, it is, the city is crawling with black celebrities. The city is crawling with, they're everywhere. You pass outside of the Beverly Center, you see people walking around, right? You pass restaurants outside of Toast back in the day, <laughs> and you see people outside and they're eating, and like, you're, you're telling them, you're like, yo, that's fucking Shirley Ralph. Or like, yo, yo, that's um, Monique. Wait, they didn't know who Monique is? Stop. Well, no, nah, I'm not saying Monique. They knew who Monique is by this point. Monique wasn't. But like, well, they know who, a, <laughs> like, Omarion is. Yeah, because of B2K. They did know people. Like, we saw Omarion before. They did know Omarion. But, like, it would be other people that they just wouldn't know, like, Countess Vaughn from the Parkers one time. Nobody knew who Constance Vaughn was. You know what I mean? And I'm like... This fucking what? I'm like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, come on. Yeah, nobody ever... Nobody on this bus has seen the Parkers. And then I would get pissed off. i like, fuck y'all. Y'all never watched the Parkers before. Y'all gonna tell me I ain't watched the Parkers one time? I watch y'all shit at least one time. You know, and it would be all kinds of people like that that I would see. We walk by, we see Terrence J. I'm like, hey, that's fucking Terrence J. You know what? Get on the bus. And then I would just be like, "Hey, like, you know what I'm saying? And so that would happen throughout the thing. Okay, this is, we're way off The Last of Us now, but the Nick Offerman, that's how I realized who Nick Offerman was. And I'm glad that I knew who Nick Offerman was because the reality of the situation is as I watch Nick Offerman now, I know that his career has taken many twists and turns, but I really feel like this episode of television, Charles, is going to move people And I feel like it deepens the stakes for the show, The Last of Us. And I feel like it also sets the terms for the universe. I think the writers of the show, I've never played the game, so I don't know how this goes in the game. We'll have to talk to Kai. But I think the writers of the show were incredibly smart to snatch us into somebody else's story here in episode three. Well, we've talked about Nick Offerman. I want to also give shout
1: outs to Murray Bartlett, who honestly did the fucking Lord's work on season one of White Lotus fucking killed that shit. And I wanted to
0: ask, have you seen White Lotus yet? No. Never watched it. Man. Damn. Come on, bruh. Come on. Right, man, I tried it, bro. I, I don't get it, bro. I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't get it. <laughs> was it white people shit? Nah, it's not. Don't, don't put, don't paint me in the corner like that. Like, I... I was asking. you. You can deny it. I'm just asking. I watched... I watched Glass Onion, and I was like, this is as White Lotus as it can get for me. That's the <laughs> limit. Like, anything, I just wasn't into it. Well, White Lotus is great. I will say, this is a call to Hollywood. We're
1: good with uh, the satires on rich white people. What we need are rich black people. Like, honestly, the next season of White Lotus should just be rich black people. Rich black people in Japan. That's all I'm saying. Now, going back to Marie Bartlett, she fucking killed it. S. Frank, it's great. when he comes into the show, what I think he brings is I think the way he acts in this, he has to channel something about the human experience that you rarely get to see as an adult which is someone experiencing pure joy for something that they thought was lost the way he lights up when he drinks wine for the first time, something that he thought he would be deprived of, probably, for the rest of his life, having a, a warm shower, eating dinner. He was doing these little things with his faces and emotions where you're seeing him in the same way that Bill is opening himself up to love. It's almost like uh Frank is relearning what love is, what it means to love something as simple as a shower, something as simple as someone cooking dinner for you, something like a piano. I thought when he comes into the show, I was just like, oh no, this is electric. Their chemistry together, their relationship felt real. And probably one of my favorite parts of the episode was the strawberries. Mm-hmm. Because it calls back to the beginning of the episode, which is, you have to think, this is probably Bill's first time cooking for someone um, mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. And to see the, the favor returned years later with the strawberries, and seeing these two men enjoy something so much that they probably thought that they would never eat again, I was just like floored by. What did you kind of think about just the intricacies and the details of the relationship?
0: Any good relationships is give and takes, and what we saw was Bill being both the strength and the weakness in the relationship. Is first at first, you know, Bill yeah. is so strong, so capable but he's unwilling to trust and unwilling to to give in. After a while, we see Frank as the one who is maybe a little stronger, more willing to take chances, more willing to live a life. And we see why they needed one another. We see why that was divine pairing. Hey, you are the one who might set the charges to keep the, the marauders from coming into our shit. I am the one that reminds you that this place needs to be a little beautiful. That we might need a coat of paint. That we might need some friends. That it might be good to have dinner with someone. It might be good to
1: have a boutique. Like, a boutique. We're not even, yeah. there's no one to even sell the goods. But that was such a beautiful moment where he's like, he's telling him, in this world, we need to have the capacity to love things. Everything can't yeah. just be mission accomplishment. There has to be things that make us want to get up in the morning. I was like, this is such a beautiful sentiment for a post-apocalyptic show.
0: And it's something, let me tell you something. Where you move in with somebody, right? And they're giving you shit, right? They're giving you shit, right? They're giving you shit. Hey, start the washing machine. <laughs> Don't leave this around. You know, take your, and you're like, God damn, what's wrong with you? Get off me, I'm a man. And then, you get it put to you very eloquently. You know what? In my world and my life, I like things to be a little bit beautiful, a little bit in order. So you show me that you love me just by making space for me in the ways that I need you to so that I can experience certain things. My dad once told me that about my mom. Rest in peace, my father. My father was like, son, your room is disgusting. <laughs> he's like, He's like, for me, it's your room. I want it to be better. I want you to understand it, but I don't care. You want to live like a goddamn hog, and go ahead. It's your choice. But it's like your mother, like she needs this home to have a little bit of pizzazz to it. So for her, she comes home and she sees your shit everywhere, be it here or somewhere else. It bothers her. So if you love her, you'll take a little bit of extra time and make sure that her house is in order. And that's what love is. It's work. It's submission. That's what we see. We see two people pulling at each other in the most loving ways. We're seeing one guy who's afraid to let somebody out of the pit. We see one guy who's afraid to let the other guy play the piano. We see one guy who's afraid of this, so afraid to let him stay, afraid to give in. And we see another guy who's afraid to live in a world that doesn't have a functioning boutique. Who is who is as brave in their emotions as anything else. And they make something really beautiful and affecting, and that's why it's actually even you know so much more um, devastating when it is Frank who, uh, you know, is befallen by illness, when it's Frank who can no longer um, you know live life out loud in the way that he could before, you know, and to watch Bill in his life still understand what his purpose is to protect Frank. To make sure that he's okay, and I watch him take that purpose into a time where neither one of them is in their physical prime anymore, to where there are no more adventures to be had, to where the purpose is you, and then I watch him come to terms with that, I don't know, man. I don't know last of us they're like I was tearing up, but the moment it hit me was
1: we we meet them together with that first dinner, and at the last dinner when when you realize Bill has also put the drugs in his wine and he's telling him essentially that you're my purpose and we learn when Bill's like I used to hate the world and I was happy when everyone died but I was wrong because there was one person worth saving that's what I did I saved him then I protected him I was just like what a beautiful sentiment that did not need to be said this could have been just an action show and it would have been fine. We would have loved it. But I was seriously like not okay emotionally just thinking about what it means to find purpose in life. Because I think, I don't know about you, I think when you're younger and like you think that there's so many years ahead, the thing that gives you purpose is your career or your ambitions or all of these other things. And then as you grow up and you start losing people, you lose your parents, you lose friends, you're like all that other stuff is important, but at the end of the day, it's bullshit. Like, the only thing that you really have in this world are other people um, and sharing the things with them. And I was like, this is, this sentiment is just something I wasn't, I just wasn't prepared for. It just like, it kind of kicked me back on my, on my ass.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm glad that you feel like the only thing in life that you have is other people. I'm trying to get a Ferrari. (laughs) I want to go to Dubai. Because obviously, <laughs> the point that you made is obviously true. But here's the scary part of the point that you made. And I don't mean to frighten anyone. The scary part is you're lucky in life if you find your purpose. Yeah. The amount of people who don't in the society that we've built that is dependent on commerce, that is dependent on conformity. It's depending on all of those things. You're lucky if you find your purpose. And in order to find your purpose, you have to be brave. You have to be brave to find the thing. There are people that have, that love their children so much, they still feel unfulfilled. There are people out there that are great parents, that are great. What your purpose is, you're lucky if you get to it. If you're open enough to recognize it when you see it, And the reason why Bill was totally okay going on to the sweet by and by as was said in Django. Y'all gonna see Calvin in the sweet by and by, all right? So a little sooner than you think. It's like he shoots everybody with a gun. It's a great scene. I'll watch it after this. Um, It's because he got a gift that a lot of people don't recognize and never get, which is to be able to identify and spend a lot of time with his purpose. And that and when he says that at the end of this episode, you fucking know he's telling the truth. Brilliantly done by both actors and a fantastic episode of television. One step further, what I think is actually
1: brilliant is that when I was talking about the risk of this episode, if it doesn't work, the reward of it when it does is that when you see Joel come into the picture in the flashbacks and Joel is to like, Bill is just like, we're the same person. You realize in that final note that. Bill knew it. Bill knew that Tess, mm-hmm. they were supposed to be together. He knew that, like, it was even to someone who was, like, as emotionally immature at times as someone like Bill, he could see it. And it was interesting to me that I'm just like, in this episode, what it actually does to the narrative is that Joel is getting another chance. Joel is getting a chance with Ellie to find his purpose again. He ignored it the last time, emotion- like to your point, you're lucky in life if you can find your purpose. I would say you're even more lucky if you get a second chance at at it when you missed it the first time around, when you ignored it the first time around, and that's what yeah. I think narratively this episode does is like Joel, this is your chance. do not miss out on it
0: yeah, I'm, you're right, brother, you're right now
1: before we wrap up i wanna I want go to uh Kai's video game corner. The story of Bill is wildly different in the video games. And I was actually surprised how much of a departure this is. So Kai, for our listeners, can you kind of just walk us through what Bill is like in the game and how his story is so much different?
2: Yeah, no, of course. There's like three major differences. First one being the flashbacks, like the time jumps that we have. It's like you jump around in the show, whereas like in the game, it's just it's just a linear story. It's just straight from Joel and Ellie and you go and find just Bill, which is the next thing. It's like, we meet Frank in this show, whereas in the game, when you when you come to Bill, Frank's already dead. Like, Frank's been infected and he actually hangs himself, which is super depressing. And you you actually don't see it. Doesn't he leave a suicide note saying that he hated? Yeah, hated, that he hated his guts. And, and that's the thing is like, it's not explicitly shown or stated that they had a relationship, but it's heavily hinted at in the game. So it's like, to take just a few lines of dialogue and that suicide note and like spin it into this beautiful hour of television, which you guys have talked about, is is really incredible. And then the other major difference is Bill is is dead in this show. Bill dies. Joel and Ellie don't come across him together. In the game, Ellie and Bill have like a a, a contentious back and forth. There's a whole section, maybe an hour or so, maybe longer, that you play as Joel beats and Ellie. Yeah, exactly. And like none of that's Wait, dead. wait, wait,
0: wait. Well you just said that. So Bill dies in the show, but in the game, Bill
2: survives? Bill's alive. Frank is dead. It's it's flipped. And obviously, like, in the show, they're both dead. But in the game, you come across just Bill. Frank's already dead. He was infected. And they'd been apart for some time at that point. Infected. Frank gets
1: infected. Yeah, he gets infected.
2: And he, instead
1: of, like, he hangs himself because he doesn't want to become infected. So the story is completely different.
2: I wanted to point out a line from Bill in the game because it's it's kind of a direct echo of the line that Charles had, had mentioned
0: once upon a time, I had somebody that I cared about. a Partner.
1: Somebody I had to look after. And in this world, that sort of shit's good for one thing. Getting you killed.
2: So it's the complete opposite of what they end up writing in the show, where it's like he's trying to move Joel in a place where it's you, if you find something, if you find that purpose, you have to care about it. In the game...
0: Do Bill and Joel have a
2: friendship from before? Mm-hmm. When he comes up to Bill in the game, he's like, Bill is not happy to see Joel. He's like, "Why are you here?" Like, he has an area of town that he kind of owns, and like those trip wires that you see in the beginning of the episode—that's plucked straight from the game. And
1: Bill owes a, Bill owes him a favor, doesn't he? Like, Joel yeah. is coming in to cash in yep. on like a favor because, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember. Bill almost being more of a like smuggler instead yeah. of him being so just in one place he's actually has a much more fruitful back and forth helping Joel and Tess.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely think that's that's a big thing and it's they're going to get that car battery. That's the thing that's most similar I'd say from from the two is like both end with Joel and Ellie in a truck headed to Tommy's trying to find the fireflies. Damn, well
1: before we wrap up Video Game Corner in this episode, I have two important questions for you. Kai, please stay on. The first is, I want all of us to share if we were in the last of Us universe and your partner was planting fruit, mm. which fruit would you want it to be? You haven't had fruit in years. Well, what would you choose? Dan, you can go first.
0: Apple. That is the most boring-ass choice. Tro- An apple, bro? Can I... I mean, I didn't know uh, that. I was is, going to apples are good for a meal. You can eat all the strawberries you want. It's not gonna fill you up. Guys, right now, if you're wake up in the morning, you don't feel like just eat an apple and you'll be straight. So apples have utility. By the way, you can make an apple pie. Okay? You can make Where apple are you getting sauce. all the sugar? All the, all the
1: sugar and flour is infected. We heard about it this episode. That's true. I ain't
0: eating that shit. That's true about the flour. You can't even make like a, you know, you can still cook the apples down. Shut up, Charles. <laughs> Fine, wait, you have to give me the type of apple. I like the, uh, I like the Fuji apples. was kind of hard to, I like the Fuji apples. I don't like the Granny Smith. I can't eat the green ones anymore.
2: All right. So Kai, mm-hmm. give me what for well, okay, so I would go strawberries first, and then apple second. But I'm a, in, in the spirit of the pot, I'll go. I'll go something different: green grapes. Ooh, that's a good answer. You get a lot of them. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can be snacking on them all
0: day. Strawberries is like that's what I'm thinking. One and done. Noom says that green grapes is the best snack food you could eat. So It says on Noom. I didn't know that. Well,
1: I would go blueberries. I think blueberries. They're Discussive. small. Nice. They would be candy in this world. What are wrong with fucking blueberries? You have someone against blueberries, nah, man. I'm just joking.
0: You could dry them out, and then you could have dried blueberries. That's very true. Yeah. All right.
1: Now, last question of the spot most important. Ellie finds a broken Mortal Kombat game. Hmm. Two crazy things about this. Ellie has never played a video game. Like when she's like pointing to like a place, she's like, I've been in a plane. I haven't been in a car. I'm like, oh, so cute. But when I'm like, oh, she has to play video games. She knows. She just knows nothing about Smash Bros, nothing about Pokemon, nothing. So we're going to start in reverse order. If you had one video game that you could bring into the apocalypse, what would it be, Kai?
2: I got to go with Uncharted 2. Stay in the Naughty Dog world. I love The Last of Us, but I think it's a little too dark if it's the only game I'm playing all the time. And uh, Uncharted 2 has some levity. It's still as fun. The gameplay is great. Uncharted 2, that's what I got to go with. Uncharted 2, really? What happens once you
1: finish the fucking main... Adventure
2: you just run it just back. No. I mean, any game that we're going to play
0: in this situation is going to get old. I would say that for me, it would be Mario Kart. Mario Kart's a great apocalypse game. Like you, Mario Kart, you have everybody around. You could lure people in. You could have a whole Mario Kart-based society where only people at the top run of society get to play Mario Kart. Can you think about that? Think about the Mario Kart revolution that would happen. Like you have to have a certain amount of standing to play Mario Kart with us. You can make people act right for an hour of Mario Kart. <laughs> so I would say I would say Mario Kart for me. You the Fedra agents are definitely
1: playing Mario Kart not sharing it with the populace.
0: Mario Kart for good. sure. What
1: fucking game? I want to say Slay the Spire, but that's too nerdy. Ooh. You know what? I'm going to choose a very very difficult game that I know Breath of the Wild. If I'm playing mm. Breath of the Wild, that shit's so hard. It's going to take me at least fucking 10, 15
0: years to fucking beat it. I'll be it's so fair. happy the whole time. Breath of the Wild? Is that a good game? I've never heard of that. What a- Zelda? Oh, Zelda? Oh, I know. I don't know that game. It's I, the only Zelda's. So it's a <laughs> Zelda Breath of the Wild? I, oh, no, I've played Zelda before. I don't know about <laughs> Breath of the Wild, though. What happens there? <laughs> Like Kai looked at me, he's like, What's Breath of the <laughs> Wild? Like... Kai, do you know, do you know, Yeah, you know Breath, I have of, the Breath of the Wild? It's on the Switch. Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. It's like an Where open world Zelda game. It's hard as fuck. Came yeah, out in wild. 2017. I was off Zelda. No, I never played it. BAFTA Game for awarded for innovation, the game award for Game of the Year. But what is this on? This the Switch. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll play Breath of the Wild. Hey, man, get off me. I was 37 when that <laughs> shit came out. All right, like, like, you have <laughs> no excuses,
1: bro. I've been over your house, fucking Van. You be playing flight simulators and shit. I don't want, like, come <laughs> yeah, on, bro. Sure.
0: Breath of the Wild. Okay, I, I guess I got to play this. Is this Link on a horse? Is Link riding a <laughs> you horse? You got to ride a this? fucking horse? It's great. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll play Breath of the Wild. That has <laughs> been the
1: Prestige TV podcast. Thanks to our video game connoisseur and producer Extraordinaire Kai. Thank you to the Mai Thai Mastro himself, Van Lathan. I've been Charles Holmes. Make sure you lock in next week for more Last of Us. We'll see you later. Woo!